Hi and welcome to SCL, the Subject Composition and Light Photography Podcast. My name's Rob from robnonphoto.com and this is my little audio diary about my journey through the wonderful world of photography. Oh, how is everybody? Hope you've had a great month taking loads of different photographs. If already you're wondering, well wait a minute, SCL 237, wait a minute, didn't we have 238 last month? Well we did, um, but unfortunately... I missed out 237, so I'm kind of skipping back to 237, and then the next podcast will be 239. Sorry about the confusion, but I couldn't stand the idea of losing a podcast somewhere, so this would be the lost episode. It's the 2nd of August 2014. I'm recording this from Gosport on the south coast of the UK, and it's 10 past 9 on a very warm Saturday evening. Luckily, Suzanne's popped out. Oliver's upstairs playing on his Xbox. So I've got an hour or so to uh, record a podcast and get back in touch with everybody out there. So what what have I been up to? I've been lucky enough to go on a couple of little photo walks. I've been kind of, as you know, this year I'd really describe it as the year of video. You know, I've been doing loads of different videos for YouTube, instructional videos and things like that. I've kind of got into this groove of recording using the video on my 600D, and uh, I'm really enjoying it. And that's probably why I haven't been doing as many podcasts as I should have done. Um, and I haven't been out taking that many photographs either. However, I've you know I've got a list of different places I want to try. And one of the projects I'm working on this year is, is uh, well, lots of them are based around roads. Um, so the idea is to visit different places on these roads, and that will give me ideas of uh, places to shoot. And one of the roads is the A27. And so a couple of weeks ago, I went down to Chichester, which is a large town, small city, large town, I'd probably call it, on the A27, ancient city. Um, the Romans were there, I think, to start off with, and then uh, there's been loads of battles and stuff. So it's quite historic town. It's got a big cathedral as well. If you look up Chichester Cathedral, um, that's quite impressive. And I just jumped in the car on a Sunday morning um, about nine o'clock. So I wanted to get there before the shops opened. Got there, parked up, threw on my uh, camera bag, and then went for a walk. Um, as you'll probably remember if you've been listening to SCL for quite a while, I worked for Jessops for about six months down in Chichester, around the Jessops down there. You might say <laughs> I ran it into the ground because Jessops went bust shortly after, but no, that wasn't really my fault. Um, and um, so I kind of knew Chichester city centre, well, town centre, fairly well. Excuse me, I'm just going to have a quick cough. That's better. And um, But I thought, no, so I was, as I started walking into town, well, to start off with, it started raining. And I was like, oh, no, I've come all this way. And it's raining. But anyway, I sort of found somewhere to shelter underneath the side of a building, took a few photographs, and then the sun came out. And I was looking around thinking, right, where am I going to go? And then I saw the signs for the Chichester... Um, old walls, because lots of old towns and old cities in the UK, well in England anyway, um, originally had walls around them to stop the baddies coming in, and some of these walls still exist. And so I just jumped up onto the walls and just followed my nose and took some uh, some nice shots. There was a nice cricket pitch with a church in the background and with the steeple of the cathedral in the background too, and kind of worked my way around the walls and back into the uh, town centre. Took some photos, took some photos around the cathedral, and then uh, jumped in the car and came back. And all in all, I was probably out with my camera for about probably about an hour and a half. And it was a really good walk, and it really kind of got me fired up with my photography. 
Um, and then I think it was last week, last weekend, I again I had a short time, so I thought, right, I'm gonna go on the A27 down to the Rivel, Rivel, the River Hamble, um, which is a river that runs through um, Hampshire. And um, I kind of got got down to there where the A27 intersects with the river, parked up, and then just went for a walk down to the river, took some photos of the river, came back um, to somewhere where I've always driven past and thought, I wonder what's down there. And there's like this public footpath you can follow. And you actually get to your underneath the motorway or a freeway, as you'd call it in America. And so it's on, on a bridge as it goes over the river. And I don't, I've never actually stood underneath a bridge like that. I mean, you, you get a chance to walk under quite a thr- quite a lot of motorways um, or freeways in the UK because you know as they go through towns and, and cities, they they go onto um, onto raised sections. But this was over a river, and so what was quite unusual is when you went underneath the uh, the bridge, you could you could really hear the cars clattering over the top and the the bridge kind of moaning and groaning and making making lots of sounds. So I thought, oh, great place. So I took some photos there, and I thought that would be a great place for a photo shoot, you know, with a model or something like that. So anyway, it was a really hot day that way. So that day, so, you know, I took some photos, then headed back to the car, and um, again felt invigorated with my photos, because I'd gone somewhere different. I'm really trying this year to go to different places and not take similar photos of the same subjects that I've probably been a little bit guilty of over the last um, few years. I want to try different things, go to different places. Um, And I'm kind of toying with the idea now of thinking about, you know, uh, different types of photography, apart from like the urban and the landscapes and the buildings, all that sort of stuff I do, but maybe more set-up stuff, maybe um, with models or something like that. But I don't know, it's something I've got to think about. And, you know, do I have the time? For example, this week, you know, I'm doing a seven-day a seven-day shift, so I've not got no real time. But I guess it's not really about have I got the time, it's can I make the time, because if I really try to make the time, I'm sure I will. So there's a new photo assignment up on the Flickr photo group, um, and for the month of August, our photo assignment, again, it's mirroring the amateur photographer of the year subject, is macro world, insects, flowers, and plants. So what I thought I'd do is just talk for a few minutes about what is macro photography and you know how you can shoot macro um, without having to spend a fortune on specialist equipment. So macro photography basically is just taking pictures of very, very small things so they look nice and big. Close-ups of flowers, insects, textures, uh, the insides of clocks, that sort of thing. We've, we've seen them all the time. They can be very, very impressive, macro photography. It takes you into a whole different world. Um, and... What you'll find is even from the simplest compact camera to a bridge camera, often they'll have a macro mode. I know the macro mode or the super macro mode on my old Fujifilm S5700 was amazing. You could get that lens right up close to the subjects and take focus that take photos that are still in focus. And you may even be surprised how close you can get with your camera on your um, mobile phone as well they can focus incredibly closely as well so generally macro you're taking pictures of very very small things Um, and it's all about getting close and as i say if you've got a compact camera or a bridge camera have a look through the instructions but there'll probably be somewhere a button with a picture of a flower or something like that and you'll press that and what it does is it allows the camera to focus very very closely and you can get stuck in with some fantastic macro photography straight away now if you're shooting with the dslr it can be 
more complicated because our lenses, our kit lenses, say our 18 to 55s that, that come with our cameras, don't focus very close. So you can't make small things look bit big. But don't worry, there's loads of different ways of shooting. And where we can have a go at macro photography, don't cost much or anything at all. And the first thing I would say is, um, let, let's imagine we I don't know, there's a flower or there's a spider on a flower and we want to take a nice macro shot. So we want this spider to look really, really big. The first thing we can do is if you've got a telephoto lens, like a 55 to 250, 70 to 300, something like that, you may well find that it is a very basic macro lens anyway. Um, and all you do with those is you zoom them all the way. So as they're zoomed in as much as they can. And then what you find is you stand back from your subject and you'll be surprised at how good they are at macro of making very small things look very big. Because although they're zoomed in all the way, they can focus very, very close. I know my 55 to 250 Canon IS lens is a really good macro uh, lens for stuff like that. Um, so you zoom all the way in, you stand back. And then you focus on your subject and uh, and you'll get there. Now, there are kind of caveats, if you like, to using a zoom lens like that. Um, chief of which is, is focusing can be quite tricky to start off with um, to get autofocus lock on, on something. So, you know, take your time and you'll find the focus limit, you know, how close you can actually get before the autofocus stops working. And the next one is really camera shake. So you're zoomed in all the way. So using a, you know, a lot of zoom, a lot of magnification. And so all those tiny little movements that you make with your hands, or even say if it's a flower or a spider on a flower, as they're wandering around, you know, you've got to make sure you're using uh, a fast shutter speed. Well, fast enough to freeze motion, say, I don't know, 250 of a second at least, probably 300, probably near a 500th of a second, actually, to be honest, if we're using that much magnification. Or maybe some flash to freeze the action or put your camera and lens on a tripod but I'll talk a little bit more about that in the next few minutes so if you've had a go with your zoom lens yeah macro you think okay maybe you haven't got a zoom lens and you've only got a kit lens don't worry you can do something called free lensing now free lensing is where you take the lens off your camera so disconnect it press that bayonet button take that take that um, lens off and then just hold it in front of your camera and although you'll lose all the, well, you'll lose autofocus to start off with. If you're in a, with a Canon camera, you can put it in aperture priority mode. And it will then work out the exposure for you, even though the lens isn't attached to the camera. And you can still shoot away. Um, and you can turn your lens into kind of like a lens baby effect. A tilt-shift lens, if you like. However, the other effect is flip the lens round. Put the, put the big bit of glass that's normally painted, painted pointing towards your subject have it pointing into the camera sensor have a look through the uh, the viewfinder and you'll find you've got a micro lens now this can be tricky to get things focused you've got to play around a lot but you'll be amazed how by just by reversing your lens now there are special adapters you can use to do this sort of thing um, but i would say just play around with it see what you can, can come up with you'd be surprised now the trick here is to take lots and lots of photographs because the problem with our cameras is when we're reviewing the photos on the back of our lens, on the back of our LCD screen, sorry, lots of ones that are pretty soft actually appear to be pretty sharp. So you've got to take lots and lots. So to give you a fighting chance of getting at least one photo that's in focus. Another 
cheap option are close-up filters and these are like these are like glasses for your lens you've probably seen them on ebay or maybe in camera shops and uh, they look a bit like a uv filter and you screw them on the front of your lens and what they actually do is they magnify what's coming in you can normally buy them in different strengths like one and a half to three times and these will turn your kit lens into a nice simple macro lens you often lose a bit of quality can be a little bit soft especially around the edges but for a really cheap option give them a go i know i use them um quite a lot on my minolta film camera the slt 101 to i thought thought they were quite successful because for me it was the case of you know i don't have enough money or space to carry dedicated macro lenses but you know i can have some close-up filters in my bag screw them on the front and hey presto we've got macro now a real exciting i think way into macro macro photography is with extension tubes you can get these very cheaply on ebay these days um, and basically extension tubes all they do is they go in between your camera body and the lens and they move the lens further away from your camera a bit like say you're in a room and you've got a projector and you're projecting a screen projecting a film onto the screen if you want it to look bigger you move you simply move the projector backwards don't you and the picture gets bigger it's exactly the same with extension tubes you're moving that lens away from the body away from the sensor which means that the projected film uh the the, the projected photograph sorry looks bigger and you can get um automatic ones that Make sure that all the autofocus and auto exposure uh, information still gets transmitted between the lens and the body, or you can get manual ones where you know you go to manual focus, you go to aperture priority mode on a Canon, and then it'll work out everything for you. Now, the reason why extension tubes are so exciting is because the massive magnification you get. You you know you're into you start using extension tubes with things like spiders and flies. Uh, maybe not flies because they're, they're a bit faster. Spiders, especially, you're into a whole new world. You can make the tiniest of little house spider look really, really big. Um, and if you combine it with something like, I, I tend to find around about 100 mil to 135 millimeter focal length lens, whether that be a zoom or, or a fixed focal length lens, works very, very well with extension tubes. That gives you enough distance between the end of the lens and your subject not to to mess with it especially if it's a spider or an insect to make it run away um and uh, enough kind of uh, angle of view to make it an interesting shot now although i've mentioned different types of lenses um i personally prefer to use extension tubes with old m42 lenses i've talked about these in the past these are the old lenses that used to be fitted to film cameras that have a screw thread they're all manual so you have to click them to change the aperture you've got focus manual that sort of stuff but if you get an eos eos to m42 adapter or a nikon or a sony adapter to m42 you can then use m42 extension tubes with an m42 manual focus lens and these work very well because remember if you're using a manual extension tube your lens can no longer talk to your camera and if your lens can't talk to your camera you can't set the aperture on a fully automatic lens but with an m42 lens you can still rotate that aperture ring round so that you can change it to uh, allow for different depths of field different amounts of light coming in 
And I guess probably the final option, if you've got the cash and the space to carry one round, is a dedicated macro lens. They're all out there for Canon, for Nikon, for Sony, for Pentax. And these babies say they're say 60mm or 100mm or, or longer. These lenses are capable of, of focusing very, very closely to, to the front of the lens. Now, you can use them as normal lenses as well. In fact, I think it's the Canon 100mm is an excellent portrait lens as well. It's a nice focal length. So if you've got the cash, macro lens is always a good option, but just remember you don't need it. There are lots of other things you can try first. Extension tubes, close-up filters, free lensing, and using your uh, the telephoto zoom. You've probably already got to have a go at macro photography. So how do we make the best, if you like, out of whatever technique we've chosen? Um, the tricky thing, one of the tricky things about macro photography is our depth of field can be very, very small. We're focusing on things that are very close to the camera in, in, in most cases. Often we're having to use a wide aperture to maximize the amount of light that's coming in. And our depth of field can be a millimeter or less. We're talking really small depth of field. So you've got to use photographer's lock to start off with. You've got to take lots and lots of photos because chances are you're, you might move backwards and forwards a little bit. Your subject might move backwards and forwards a little bit. So take lots of photos to give yourself a fighting chance of getting a sharp one. Um, watch your shutter speed. When you're using things like extension tubes, that cuts out an awful lot of light that's coming into the camera. So it's vital that you make sure your shutter speed doesn't go, doesn't go. You know, I would stick out a 250th or a 500th of a second if you can. You know, pump up that ISO to keep that shutter speed up. If you can't and you're hand holding, use flash. Start off with a pop-up flash. If you've got an off-camera flash, try that because we can freeze the action. If it's a pretty static subject like a flower, use a tripod. You know, get out there and shoot your subject in the sun. As far as composition goes with macro photography, try any angle apart from the one where you would be looking down on it as if you were looking at it as a normal person. You know, say it's a flower, don't just go down on one knee and take a photograph looking down. Same with spiders. Get underneath, shoot up, shoot from the side. Think about what you want sharp in the photos. If you're taking a picture of a flower and you've got a really tiny depth of field because you're down there amongst the stamens what do you want in focus do you want the tip of the stamen do you want the middle of the stamen do you want the, the base of the flower insects you know what do you want what do you want in focus i would suggest when you're shooting insects and spiders go for the eyes you know when you get a really sharp photo of a spider and you can see all of its eyes all of a sudden you might have quite liked spiders before but when you can see how alien looking spiders look when you see that when you blow them up you'll think wow these things really are amazing so use different angles take lots of photos think about what you want to focus to focus on concentrate on the eyes of animals and use photographer's luck take lots and lots of photographs and try lots and lots of different setups well good luck with those remember take your macro photos um, go over to Flickr, put them in the Flickr uh, photo group, put them in the thread that's over on the robnonphoto.com Flickr photo group. I'll, remember, I'll put a link to the show notes, show notes, <laughs> show notes for SCL episode. Um, what, what did I say? We're on episode 237, aren't we? Um, 
to uh and uh so so we can like share our work and if you're feeling confident you know tech, copy the link go over to uh amateur photographer of the year and um send them one of your photos who knows remember that competition is open to everybody all over the world and uh, you might well win an olympus camera it is however completely unassociated with robnaferro.com and the scl photography podcast so shout out to Derek Crowley at DerekCrowleyPhotography.com. Please go and check out his new website. Some fantastic work over there. Some fantastic photos in his Flickr stream as well. I'll uh, put a link in the show notes. But if you go to www.DerekCrowleyPhotography, that's D-E-R-E-K-C-R-O-W-E-Y. Sorry, O-W-L-E-Y-P-H-O-T-O. G-R-A-P-H-Y.com. You'll see Derek's work and uh, very, very nice indeed. I know it inspires me to go out and take more photographs. Now, a, a listener's question. How about that? I don't get that many of these, but this one came through from David. David Orkst. And he said, I've just watched your HDR video. Great stuff, thanks. Cheers, David. Glad you liked it. I've been trying to shoot some HDR landscapes, but I'm having a problem with focus. You didn't talk about focus in the video. So my questions are, do we use back button focus or half press? Do you use automatic matrix or manual or spot metering? And then he goes on to say, the attached photo was back button focus at f22, a 30 for the second, ISO 200, 18 millimeter. But if you zoom into 100% crop, it sure isn't sharp. And he took it with a T3i, good camera, and the 1855 kit lens. Maybe I'm asking too much, but shouldn't everything be tech sharp? Okay, David. So, uh, and what happened was David sent me a photo with this email as well, so I could look at it because he was a little bit concerned that it was a little bit soft. So, re- I-, I use half press not back button focusing to take my photo. So if you don't know what that means, basically, you know when you take a photo with your camera, you press the shutter button halfway down, it beeps to tell you it's in focus, and you press the button all the way, and it takes the picture. However, you don't have to work like that. Um, with most DSLRs, you can choose a different button to trigger the shutter. So you're separating autofocus and uh, metering from uh, the, the act of actually firing the shutter. And I think on Canons, it's the little star button, I think, on the back you can do. And I have played around with it a little bit. And the difference with that is you you, you look at your subject, you press the button halfway down, it focuses, and then you can take your finger off that, and you don't have to worry about it. And then you just press the back, back of the camera, and it will take the picture. I don't think it makes that much difference. Some people swear by it. However, for landscapes, I don't think it really makes much difference at all. And with back button focus, it's just about all about practice, I think. You know, if you, if you spend a lot of time with it, um, happy days. The problem, though, is if you then take pick up another camera <laughs> that isn't set up for back button focus, you'll struggle. Um, but anyway, I don't think it makes any difference if you use half press or back button focus in terms of sharpness in a photo. There's other things that affect it more. Um, when I meter... Nine times out of ten, I just use matrix metering. So I just let the let the camera work out the metering. And then maybe if the scene's a little bit bright or a little bit dark, I might use a little bit of exposure compensation, but that's it. Now, the things that probably affected uh, your photo the most um, are these. I would say what you need to do is put your camera on a tripod. 
because you were saying you're shooting at a 30th of a second, which is quite slow. I know with IS we should be able to handle it, but put your camera on a tripod and turn the IS off. All right. Use shutter delay. So press the little um, button that tells you what, when you want to do it and, and put like a 10 second shutter delay on it. If you really want to get serious, go into the custom menu options and put on mirror lockup as well. But anyway, get it on a tripod, turn IS off, and let's get rid of the chances of having camera shake as part of the problem with softness. The next thing really is don't think that F22, because it's the smallest aperture, gives you the sharpest photo. It's far from that. At f22 you get i think it's diffraction or refraction i can never remember what, what it is but basically your smallest aperture is not your sharpest aperture with your lens and in fact lens manufacturers and camera manufacturers they know that we don't shoot at f22 they know most of the time we don't shoot at F2, f16 they know we like shooting wide open that we like shooting at f2.8 f3.5 f1.8 etc and you tend to find that with most camera lenses, the sharpest aperture is probably a couple of stops up from wide open. So f5.6 or f8, maybe f16, that sort of thing. Um, so I would say, get your camera on a tripod, turn IS off, set your, your to aperture priority mode, use a little bit of exposure compensation if you need to, and then set it to f8 or f16. Then all you've got to do, and you can do this with manual focus or auto, doesn't matter, focus about a third of the way into the scene for a general landscape photo. So look at look at the scene in front of you. Um, say it's a river with some trees and the thing. Okay, so how far away are those trees? What would a third of the way to the trees be? Focus on that, and that will give you hyperfocal. That means most of the things in front of the uh, where you're focusing will be in focus, and everything afterwards will be in focus as well. If you really want to check on a camera like the T3i, you can fire up live view and you can zoom in using the plus button and you can move around to check to see what's in focus. Flick over to manual focus and just get whatever you want to be in focus um, really, really sharp. And the great thing about zooming in and checking your focus this way, way is you can see any movement that's happening as well. If it's a windy day, you can see the trees or the shrubs moving. And you can also see the camera moving as well. So maybe you need to tighten up your tripod, hang a camera bag off the tripod to weigh it down a bit. And I guarantee you will then get sharper photos. If you're hand-holding, again, use F8 or F16 for whole scene sharpness. But don't let your shutter speed fall between below 100th of a second with your kit zoom, even with image stabilization on. Because if your shutter speed starts getting a little, little low, you're going to get camera shake. And that means your photo will be a little bit soft. And also, you know, when you start getting below 100 of a second, again, the wind is going to affect things and uh, things are going to be moving. If your shutter speed does start getting a little bit low, dropping below 100th with a kit lens or 1125th, bump up your ISO. So take your ISO up to, you know, to you know, 200, 400, 800. With a T3i, you can push it a long way, especially outside where there's lots of light, you can push it 800, and it doesn't matter. The final thing, though, I would say about this photo is it kind of looks all right to me. <laughs> Remember, the kit zoom, the 1855, um, 3.5-5.6, isn't the sharpest piece of Canon glass out there, but it's good enough for most situations. I remember also that apparent sharpness is also really dependent on contrast.
And so it's not just about focusing. It's not about using the right aperture. It's not all about um, making sure you've got the correct shutter speed. Um, it's things like, have you got a lens hood on? Because if some light is entering your lens at the wrong angle and bouncing around, that will reduce contrast in your photo, which will make it look soft. So do you use a lens hood? Would you be better off shooting the scene with the sun lowering the sky, say, earlier in the morning or later in the afternoon? Because then you get better shadows, you get darker shadows, and so you get more contrast, so the photo looks sharper. If you're converting to HDR, one of the main reasons for, sh for shooting and converting to HDR is that it brings up all the detail in the shadows and the highlights, which means that you're reducing global contrast. So that will make photos look softer. So you need to add back in more contrast in post-processing to make the photo pop more. In other words, slide up the clarity slider, that'll help a little bit, and the contrast slider in whatever photo editing software you would use. And to be honest, I very rarely look at my photos at 100% because nobody in the real world is ever going to look at them that way. And I think it was Ansel Adams who said that there's nothing worse than a sharp photo of a fuzzy idea. In other words, don't get hung up on it, you know? Um, as long as your shutter speed is up, is up there and you focus on the right thing, you know, the photos look fine. Um, and if you really want sharp landscape photos, you know, do what all the pros do, use a tripod. So anyway, uh, keep on shooting, shoot lots of different subjects, have lots of fun shooting different things, and uh, and um, David, uh, I'm sure you'll come up with photos that you really love too. Okay, that's it from me for this month. Thanks for, to everybody for listening to me droning on. <laughs> Thanks to everybody for going over to rubnonphoto.com and looking at the post there. I know I'm a little bit behind. Um, most of the main work is going into YouTube at the moment. So again, check out YouTube if you want to look at my, some of my latest uh, video tutorials and reviews and that thing, sort of thing. I, I love the fact that people put their photos into the Flickr group. I can't describe how proud I feel when I look at the work that's going in there. And I think, gosh, these are people who listen to the podcast and they put their photos in our little photo group and it inspires me and hopefully inspires you to go out and take more photos too and I, and I really love it and I try and look at all of them and add my little favorites and the odd little comment as well and I hope it helps and I hope it's I hope it's constructive and keep up the good work because there is uh, some fantastic stuff going in there thanks to everybody for taking part in the photo assignments, I know there hasn't been that many going in, but you know, please, it's all about making you thinking about, um, for example, this month, right, let's do some macro photography, let's get out and take some different photos and uh, stick them in the Robin Photocon Flickr group. Uh, it really is very, uh, very much appreciated indeed from me. You can email me, scalespeeder at gmail.com, if you've got any questions, suggestions for the podcast or the site. Um, and all that really remains me for me to say is thank you very much for downloading and listening the, to the podcast. My numbs, my name's Rob from RobNumphoto.com. I need some new false teeth so we can actually talk properly and hopefully pretty soon I'll see you on Flickr. Bye.